Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right. Well, let's get going here. The, the countdown has ended. Welcome to everybody on Facebook or who will watch this later on YouTube. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to pray and then we'll... Um, actually, I want to do this too. I want to do two things. I'll pray for the, for the service uh, tonight, for the teaching and that. Um, but I also want to pray for the elections and all that coming up um, and all the, all the things we're going to see this year. Um, I want to encourage you with this. Uh, I've been watching, uh, uh, there's a montage of different ministers that's been put together on YouTube by Sid Roth for 2020. And I, you can find it if you just put in Sid Roth and then Prophecies 2020. Um, there are two of them. One is uh, um, a combination of probably 15 different people, I suppose, something like that. Um, and uh, I watch them. I've watched them while I work out. That way I'm not doing anything else. You know, you can really focus. And uh, um, But just take a look at them, pray about them, see what the Lord says to you. Um, I know in prayer on Tuesday when we had corporate prayer here, um, we were praying about the election. We were praying about different things, but uh, at the we were praying for the sir or for the church. But then at the end, we prayed for the nation, and uh, the Lord just uh, kept having me pray about uh, the uh, Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg is that his name? And um, we didn't know exactly on the Iowa caucus what was going to come out, but he's in the lead right now. And uh, and I don't know all the details about him. Um, I know he is a, a openly homosexual. Uh, is he a is he a is he a mayor? He's a mayor. Okay, um, in Indiana, is that right? Okay, and he claims he's a Christian. Um, and of course, that that doesn't jive with the scriptures. Um, but anyway, so uh, we need to pray about these things because if he ends up being the the nominee, I know there are many uh, Christians that that believe that that lifestyle is okay. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not here to judge their, whether they're going to heaven or not, but I know this, that God did not and is not for homosexuality uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. So um, I just want to, you know, I want to pray. Uh, one of the, it's interesting because one of the prophetic words is that there'll be a massive revival in the LGBTQ community. And, um, you know, even though our conviction as far as the scripture is concerned is obviously um, we are for uh, relationships God created a man and a woman, and uh, that is the proper relationship. Um, we also want to be on the side of not condoning sin, but believing God that, um, that these people's eyes will be opened and that we'll see Saul's turn to Paul's in every arena. You know what I mean? We believe for it in the terrorist arena. We believe for it in all different arenas. You know, um, adultery and fornication slides into the same category as homosexuality and those as well. So we need to be careful. I heard one of them say this. He said, um, because there, are, there, are, there is a portion of Christians that, that really despise Donald Trump because of how rough he is and, and uh, just the things he says and does, even though obviously um, we all have a past and spiritual growth is a process. And I would not say that he has been spending the last 20 or 30 years trying to get close to God. Okay, um, but I will say this, and, and this I thought was very true, um, because one of the ministers, in fact, more than one said that this year will have, uh, those prophetic voices said that this year will contain judgment. And judgment begins in the house of God. And people like to quote that verse, and I've even quoted it. And the Lord asked me one time when I, or just the other day when I was thinking about that, he said, Sean, who is the house of God? And I said, we are. He said, individuals are the house of God. He said, there, and, and there are a lot of Christians that want to judge the White House, but they don't want to judge their own house. And that's what one of them said. And I'm like, okay. And there will be a call to repentance. And it, the words that they're giving, and it's interesting, I'm in this series right now on, on fiery trial on Sunday mornings, is about living holy and being a holy vessel. Because there's been a lot of lasciviousness in the church. 
Um, and they mention like a seek, the seeker-sensitive movement and stuff like that. The idea that grace is greasy and is just, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Just God's got you covered. It's all paid for. It doesn't matter. You cannot establish that truth from the epistles. You cannot. Um, we are commanded to control our own vessels. In fact, Paul said, possess your vessel. And we are commanded to. And we need to. And not in a critical I'm better than you sense, but in the sense of we love God first and to have a house full of his glory. Now, don't just think house, think house, okay? To be a house full of his glory, we're going to have to be sanctified and set apart, holy. And uh, for some Christians, that just means less entertainment and just having fun, you know, one of the main warnings to the church or to the Israelites when they got into the promised land, one of the main warnings over and over again is when you're in the blessing, don't forget who gave it to you. If the blessing is given and you have it and we begin to use it just for the sake of our own pleasures, then we, then we can get in a lot of trouble and uh, we can end up actually backsliding. And the enemy is the... the, the, the uh, the cheater that he uses, how many have ever used a cheater in like, how many have ever had to open a fence on farmland or something like that and you try, you got to get that gate back, you know, and sometimes I have a cheater there. In other words, it's for guys like me that aren't farmers who the farmer just goes, you know, and he just, you know, but I'm like, I need the cheater. So I got my shoulder into it, you know, okay, pull the thing over it, pull the thing over it, you know, um, but the, the devil does that. His cheater is your flesh. He tempts you in the flesh. He tempts you with the desires of your flesh. And he tend, tempts you with the, with the tendency of the, tendencies of the flesh. And so we've got to be aware of that. And since there has been so much carnality allowed in the church, there are people that have mistaken the Lord's lack of, uh, or they've actually mistaken his patience with them as Mike put it by the Spirit of God as uh, permission for the way they're living, and it's not. It's just patience. He's patient. And so in order for that to happen, there has to be an opening up of the eyes and because um, the enemy deceives. And so there will be those, and this year they talked about this too, there will be those who, and I'm not a prophet, by the way, so don't, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. But um, uh, there will be those that are even in the pulpits that I heard uh, one of the ministers that are maybe some known ministers that are going to be judged for some of the things that they've, they've done. And actually, uh, what this minister said is their, their, their ministry is going to either be really reduced um, and or they may end up not being on the planet anymore. And the reason why is because of the mercy of God. So they'll be remembered for their, their good and God doesn't want them to lose any of the reward that they've gained to this point. And I know that sounds a little bit out there, but it's a biblical principle. So, thankfully, um, Paul said this. He said he actually turned a gentleman over to the flesh or to the, to the enemy for the destruction of his flesh. Notice he didn't turn him over to God for the destruction of his flesh. He turned him over to the enemy. And it says that his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. So the purpose is, is not for the destruction of a person, but for the redemption of a person. So we don't want to get into this kind of, uh, it's not, I don't believe that the Old Testament has this tendency. I think we've interpreted the Old Testament at times according to our natural fleshly nature instead of the Spirit of God. But this idea of wrath and God's angry and you know what I mean, really it's more about saving those out of destruction and in order for that to happen there has to be excuse me repentance and so um we want to believe for that so let's pray for them and then pray for the nation we'll pray for the service tonight father we just lift up to you 2020 lord we commit to you father you are the god of all grace you're the god of all comfort you are you're a god of mercy and love lord you you've actually said to us in your word that you prefer that you are are lean heavy toward mercy rather than judgment and wrath. And so, Father, we intercede on behalf of people. Lord, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the wickedness in heavenly places, the thoughts and intents of the enemy working in the minds of men. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, by your angels, and by us, your church, 
the body of Christ, that you would open the eyes of the understanding of those that are lost, those that are saved and confused. We ask that you would do it. Father, we pray for our president that you'd continue to protect him. Lord, to continue to watch over him and his family. And all those, Lord, in our governmental uh, authorities that you have set up, those men that are in positions and women that are in positions of authority that you've established, Lord, we pray that stand for righteousness, that you would protect them. Lord, those that are against righteousness and fighting against you, whether purposefully or ignorantly, Lord, we ask that you open their eyes and continue to give them opportunities to repent. Lord, we leave the judgment of these things in your hands because you know the hearts of all men. You understand. You are the judge of all the earth. And Father, we just thank you for our local government. We thank you, Lord, for our local representatives, those that are serving you, Lord. We ask that you continue to give them wisdom and understanding. Protect them and their families, Lord, against the the traps of the enemy, the wiles, the attacks, the strategies of the enemy, Lord. We ask that in the name of Jesus. And Father, for those who are fighting against you, we pray that you would open their eyes, that they would see truth, and that they, you would help them and lead them down a path of repentance. And Father, so we leave this in your hands, knowing that you are faithful to watch over your word and perform it in our lives. And Lord, we will do our part in being salt and light. Lord, we purpose to live holy lives, separated and sanctified for the purpose of the kingdom. Father, that our bodies would be, according to Ephesians chapter 3, wholly filled and flooded with you yourself. Lord, that we would be a body, uh, the body of Christ individually and corporately flooded with the glory that where we go, you go, and we minister in your boldness with no fear because perfected love casts out all fear. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. And Father, we lift up this message to you today. Lord, I just ask you for utterance and boldness to speak as I ought to speak. I believe you and I thank you for what I prayed even this afternoon, that eyes will be opened, that hearts will receive understanding, that truth will come. And Lord, we will be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, those who are repentant, who make changes by your grace and your ability. Lord, as I've stated before, and I'm believing for myself personally, Lord, I thank you that you're changing our personalities. Lord, we, we're grateful that there are individual things about us that are our personalities, but Lord, uh, that our personalities would be saturated according to Ephesians three sixteen and 17 with the power and the riches of your glory. Lord, that we, our facial expressions, our words, the way we say things, the way we do things would be saturated with the riches of your glory. We believe you for soul transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 10, and then I'm going to go over to Ephesians chapter 4 after that. And I'm going to wrap up the, uh, the armor with the helmet of salva- salvation and, and the sword of the Spirit tonight. But I just want to read Luke 10. And we're talking about authority, and there's no way I can review what we've done up until this point. I think there are eight other messages. They're all available on the website or on iTunes um, or even on YouTube. So you can go to any of them and find them there. But um, Luke chapter 10, verse number 17 says this, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We know that demons are subject to us in the name of Jesus. That's where, that's a key to the authority, releasing that authority that we have um, and that power that we have. And authority and power, we talked about, are two different things. Actually, not the exact, now they work in tandem, so they can feel like they're the same thing. Um, but how many have ever seen a tandem bicycle? Okay, is, now, I've seen the pictures where one person's pedaling and the person in the back isn't. That's not the believer's authority, okay? <laughs> okay, that's one person riding the other person's strength, okay? And sometimes I think as Christians, we'd appreciate that if it happened that way, but it doesn't. Jesus has done, our, our, uh, has done the part we could not do, but he has empowered us to do the part that we are to do, and we need to make sure we're pedaling as well, amen? That our faith has action. Now, we don't work to earn, but we work from. Our faith is to have uh, our, the grace that we're in is to have works of faith. And so what I simply mean by that is this, is you're not, you're not doing what you do to try and earn a position of favor with God because God's given you that through Christ Jesus. What you're doing is working from a place of favor to manifest favor. 
You're working from a place of impartation of grace to be able to manifest grace here on the earth. Jesus said this. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the interesting thing about that prayer is that Jesus actually fulfilled it. <laughs> okay? So, and, and we pray that, and I understand why we do, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me, but you need to realize the kingdom has come. And his will is being done, actually has been done on earth, and it will be being done if we do what he's done. I know that sounds a little, but you understand what I'm saying. Okay, so that's something that we need to realize in this. And so he says, the 70 return, demons are even subject to us in, in, in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We actually looked at this, that this is similar, a similar statement by Jesus that was made by God to Adam, only Adam didn't fulfill what he was supposed to. And so what do we see? We see Jesus as the second Adam restoring what the first Adam lost. Okay, so let's go to Ephesians 4. Praise God. And uh, let's see, I was in, I think it's Ephesians 4. Oh, Ephesians 6, you're right. I'm sorry. Some of you are probably like, no, no, the armor's not in Ephesians 4. <laughs> it's in Ephesians 6. You are correct. Thank you. Okay, verse 10 is where I'm going to start, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to read through this. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Somebody say this with me. I am able to stand with the full armor of God. So we can stand against the wiles of the devil. So we need to, it's okay to acknowledge at times our physical feelings. But the, but the declaration of faith says, I'm in the middle of a trial, but I will stand because I have the full armor of God. Okay? Now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't live under condemnation. Now, I've said this before, and I, and I, I, I feel for people that struggle in the area of condemnation. But you really need to get a hold of the scriptures and fight that thing. And fight it good. Get a hold of righteousness. I think Mike did a series on righteousness for us. And uh, it's available. It's available on the website if you want to go back and listen to that. But you need to get a hold of that, that series and that subject. See, I was such a devil. I mean, I was so glad God saved me. I thought, man, at this point, I was forgiven of so many things. I thought, I'm good, man. If I did all that and I still, he accepted me. You know, it just was kind of a click thing that happened in my mind. Well, literally, when I got saved, I had two visions. And I didn't even know what a vision was. But I was in the altar praying, and in one of them, I saw all the things I had done up until that point, and they just burned up, one after another. You know what I mean by seeing them all? It was just like a general, it's not like it was detailed, but it was a general thing. And I knew they were my past sins, and they were gone. And then the second vision was this. I saw myself standing on a stump lifting my hands and praising God. And then all of a sudden that stump disappeared and a, and a pile of rocks was there. Not a pile like you'd think, but like a, like a put together altar of rocks. I didn't even know what an altar of rocks was. You know what I mean? I had no idea what that was. And I saw it and I went from the stump onto the rock. And there was a, a gentleman there who really, one of the people that really helped me when I first got saved because I, I quit hanging out with all my old friends. And uh, so I had no friends. So this guy named Justin Franson took me in. And he would call me every weekend to, to go do something. Because you know what his concern was? I had something to do. <laughs> because my old friends would call, you know, or whatever. And he wanted to make sure. No, I got to make sure. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. And then he took me down to Rama too when I went to Bible college. And uh, let me live with him. And I know it was a pain in the butt. Actually broke his car one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know the center console thing, you know, where you put your wallet and stuff? I opened it up and popped that thing clean off. Yeah, it was bad. His car was a, uh, uh, it was a Firebird. When the new Firebirds came out, and uh, Justin's family had money. And so uh, 
we'd go to his house and they had a swimming pool, you know, and all that stuff. And so, um, anyway, um, his car was a uh, Firebird and it wasn't the, uh, it looks cool, but has the stripped down engine version. It was, it could go. And I mean, now, I mean, it could, it could light anything up. It was awesome. So I broke it for him anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, this is total, This is funny too, though. These are fun stories. Anyway, I was at Bible college, and he was wanting to get this house. And I was like, you know, he was going in to, to meet with the person uh, to get the lease. And he, did, he told me not to come. And I'm thinking, why? You know, I'm thinking to myself, why didn't he? And he was all dressed to the nines, you know what I mean? And he did some modeling too. So he was a sharp-looking guy anyway. And he was all dressed up, and I said, I'll just come in with you. And he's like, no, no, you stay here in the car. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hopefully he'd take me today. I don't know, but uh, shows you how rough I was. So anyway, he probably thought, they'll never give me the place if this guy's living with me. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, we didn't burn the place down. So praise God. Where was I going with all of that? My goodness. I know I was supposed to be somewhere in, in all of this. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I had the visions. I had the visions. That's right. So um, the Lord, um, he cleared all those things out of me. And actually, Justin, the reason why I brought up Justin was is because he's the one that interpreted the second vision for me. He said, oh, now your life's on the rock. Because remember, I was standing on a stump praising God, and then I was on the rock. And now my life was on the rock. And it really ministered to me. Um, and so, um, but anyway, the Lord helped me with that. And that's, I guess from that point on, I just never have really, I mean, I know when I've done stuff wrong, but I just, I don't let the enemy beat me up. So don't let the enemy beat you up. Okay. We'll put it to you like that because that way you'll be able to stand against him. You know, if you don't know for sure it was your sin that's causing the attack, then throw that thought out and just move on and just fight. Amen. Okay. So, um, that'll help you with that. He says this. He says, we do not wrestle, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So we see the same thought expressed again. You're able to stand. Stand. Take up the whole armor of God. You can stand. Stand. You can stand in the evil day. You can stand against the tactics of the devil. You can make it. So uh, I really believe that Paul was a positive preacher. Okay? It's not that he didn't deal with negative things. But he was a, hey, we can overcome. Let's get this done. We've got the strength of the Lord. We can do this. He believed in the resurrection, in other words. Having girded your waist with truth. We talked about that about the importance of the loins and your waist and it being your thoughts and your emotions and things like that. Uh, Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And here we are in verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Okay? The word of God of God. So take the helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians 5, 8 says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Do you see that there? It's the, the helmet of salvation. Now, uh, if you look at these uh, two, two different sections of Scripture, they both talk about armor, and they don't exactly match up just right. But the idea here is, is that we're to put on salvation on our head. The helmet covers the head, which is the what? The soul. The breastplate covers the chest area. It says faith is the breastplate, but hope is the helmet. Faith is of your spirit, and hope is of your mind, okay? Hope has to do with expectation or vision. Most people minimize the mind so much because they do not realize the mind needs to work in conjunction with the spirit. Now, we've talked about this before, and it's something that the Lord has said to us many times. 
And he said to me years ago, he said, he said a, a born-again Christian with a, the resurrection of Christ within them, if they have an unrenewed mind and an out-of-control flesh, it will lock up the ability of God within you. But if you have a controlled flesh and a renewed mind, if you have, I should put it like this, if you have a crucified flesh, okay, and a renewed mind, your spirit and your mind will line up and it gives a free flow. If you could think of, if you could think of your spirit, uh, almost like your spirit and your soul as two different pipes, you got to make sure they're lined up. Now, your spirit, man. There are things about your spirit, man. But your spirit has the nature of God in it. It's your mind that needs to line up with that spirit. And when your thinking is right, in accordance with who you are in Christ then you'll see greater expression of the kingdom or the covenant in your life personally, and then it grows from there. Uh, Heidi and I have had prophecies over our life about, uh, you know, the scripture talks about uh, the seed being planted in a tree growing up and the birds of the air come and nest in the tree concerning our ministry, that it would grow up and people would come and they would be under that tree. But I think that that scripture really has, I mean, it can have individual meaning. I didn't take it that it wasn't right because I believe it is. But it has individual meaning as well. Because each of you is a tree. And is to have, come on, we think about family tree. What is it supposed to be? What is supposed to happen? The same life that is in the trunk is supposed to be out in the branches. Okay. And so all of us are planted in the kingdom for this purpose. And as long as our mind lines up with that and then we follow and obey and dominate our flesh with the power of the resurrection within us, not self-will, it's your will empowered by the Holy Ghost. So Paul said it this, in, said it this way in Romans 8. You know, I, I would encourage you, go through and read Romans 8 again. And Mark, you know how many things we quote out of there? Just that one chapter. I mean, it was like a, it was like a, um, a Holy Ghost uh, gold mine vein in the middle of the scriptures. It was like, you ever seen uh, gold mining or mining? They talk about they hit a vein of gold or something. And that Romans 8 is that. There are so many things that I quote out of that, ver- out of that chapter. Romans 8, 11, same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. That spirit quickens and makes alive my mortal body. Romans 8, 26. If you think about that, it talks about the spirit of God praying through us because he prays where we are too stupid. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Where we're ignorant. Okay? Because we're, we can learn, but we just don't know. He helps our what? Infirmities and prays through us with groanings and utterings that are too deep for words. So it's beyond our natural ability to express, but yet it needs expression in the earth. So then it comes out through the Holy Ghost through us. So people will say this, well, I just don't know how to pray about this situation. That's perfect because you have Romans 8, 26. You can pray about it. I pray about situations I don't know how by saying, Lord, I don't know how to pray for this. Holy Spirit, help me. And I just start praying in other tongues over that situation. And that's how I deal with those situations in my life. Have I done it perfectly? No, but every time I've done it, it's worked out perfectly. (laughs) Write that down, right? (laughs) So, but if you look in Romans 8, um, you'll see where it says this. Paul said, he said, he said this, he made this statement. He said, you can actually put to death your flesh or the desires of your flesh through or by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You can dominate your flesh by the resurrection of Christ within you. See, now I say that and I can see some of the looks. They're like, well, I don't know. Okay, just go meditate it until you know. So it's a reality here. Your problem is here. Okay? Okay? So, so Paul didn't say, he said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He didn't say, oh, ask God for more power, ask God for more power, ask God for more power. You've been given the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, so how much more do you need? People say, well, I feel the power. No, you just felt what was always there. Well, I know I got it now because it feels stronger. Nope, you're just feeling. It's always there. He, I shouldn't even say it. He's always there. 
He always is. And he's always moving. We have to get our thinking right. So I can jump over into the spirit in prayer whenever I want. And then while I'm in that, the Holy Ghost will come upon me. And boy, how do you look out? Because you can get some things done in prayer that you didn't realize you could get done. Because why? He's coming into my ignorance and going, this is what it is. And I went, oh. Like on Tuesday when we were praying, the name that kept coming to me was Pete Buttigieg. And the news media wasn't even talking about him. But I watched him in that Iowa caucus thing just go up to the top. And I'm not saying the Lord's picking him. I'm saying we got to pray about this because this could be a major deception. I am not pro-Democrat, okay? People say, you should love everybody. I do love them. That's why I tell them, you're wrong. <laughs> you, you're, you're telling me. You know, it's, it's, uh, I was, I'm going to go political. Okay, so maybe they'll take me off live stream for a little bit. Um, but but uh, my president just said last night that he was not going to silence preachers. So I will preach. Of course, even if they try and silence, I'm still going to preach. So, um, But I'll say this. You know, I was watching a montage today of how uh, thoughtful and sad and prayerful Nancy Pelosi's been for the last months. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you're not praying. Now, it may be out of ignorance. I don't know. Maybe she's really Catholic. I don't know. You know, she could be. You know, I know a lot of Catholics that know God, and I know a whole lot more that don't. That's not a slap on them. I just, that's how that religion functions. It teaches people not to know God. Yeah, I said it. So um, it teaches them religious form. Now, I know some that really know the Lord. So it's not all. And I know there's people that are stayed in that area as a, as a sniper for Jesus. And they go through and minister in those areas, which is phenomenal. But she's not praying for the president. Nothing about her attitude or her character shows that she has any sort of relationship with God. She doesn't. Now, she needs it, and I hope she gets it. But you know what? I'm not a seeker-sensitive person. So I know from the Lord that it will do me no good to pander to her and send her to hell. Do you see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is if I don't speak the truth, with decisiveness according to the scripture. And people say, well, you can't do that. You might be wrong. You're right. I could be wrong. I'll admit to that. But as long as I stick to what's being said here, I'm actually loving the person that feels like they're getting hacked more than the person that just walks up to him and goes, oh, everything's okay. I actually had somebody uh, the other day talk to me and they said, you know, I believe in the Bible, but I believe in Wiccan and I believe in this and I believe in that. And I said, no, no, no. I said, the Bible says that, this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Well, yeah, yeah, that's good. And, 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 uh, but I know that there's neither good nor bad uh, magic. Shh, this person told me this. There's neither good nor bad magic. It's just the intention of the heart. I said, the Bible says that in him is no darkness. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And this person's crying while I'm talking to them. But they would not budge. They wouldn't repent at all. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do here. So I just leave you with this. So I sowed seed and watered it and walked. You know what I mean? My point is this. We need to, we need to function in truth and have the helmet of salvation firmly fixed. So that we think right, so that the expression of the resurrection comes forth correctly. This is what we're believing for, personality change. You know what I've realized? We all have personality disorders. <laughs> Every single one of us has a personality disorder. It's true. You know, and it's not a clinical issue, just so you know, okay? I'm not saying we should all go see a psychologist and get on medication. What I'm saying is, is that we are in the process of our soul being transformed. And to the degree that it is transformed is the degree that the Lord can function through us. And so we all have a disorder. I have disorders. What do you mean by that? It just needs to get in order. I'm not, I'm not declaring to you that I'm stuck there. But some people are in spiritual denial. They, they won't deal with themselves at all. 
Like, no, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. You know, it's this. It, it, no, no. We, there, may, there are legitimate things that have happened in everybody's life here that has affected them. Uh, it has an effect. Everything in this life has an effect. But it is not this thing that some of the church calls this curse that can't be broken. Like this, this power that can't. Now, it may be, there may be a strong hold there, but it's not stronger than the one who lives in you and his word. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. People say, well, I have a legitimate yoke. Jesus has a legitimate anointing for it. What we have often done is um, overly emotionalize the yoke instead of dealing with it in love and truth. And when you deal with it in love and truth, then you can, it will be broken. And that stronghold that we've tried to sometimes uh, get rid of through uh, programs will just be dissolved by the anointing. But that takes an adjustment, right? That takes that adjustment, our, the helmet of salvation. We need to know. So most people minimize the mind so much because they do not realize the mind needs to, to work in conjunction with the spirit. If your mind is closed, your spirit cannot empower you. Isn't that good? If your mind is closed, your spirit cannot empower you. The, the two need to work together. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things what? Hope for. You hope for something in your mind. But when you put faith with it, your, with it from your spirit, it gives you hope substance. It gives your hope substance. Okay, let me read that again. You're, you hope for something in your mind, but when you put faith with it from your spirit, it gives your hope substance. Faith from your spirit will take what is in your mind and give it substance. It will bring it to pass. First of all, you hope to get saved. Faith then comes by hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen, and it's combined with hope, the hope of salvation. The reality takes place as you become a new creature. The same works for healing, financial blessing, and all other areas of the believer's walk. Or any other one, your love walk, uh, your, your marriage, your kids, your job, your um, uh, relationships in your job. All these things, I mean, put it, apply it at any place. It fits. It fits. And you can use the promises of God. Give us, they renew the mind for hope. Faith goes to the heart. Heart from, or faith from the heart. Then connects with the hope of the mind. And it brings substance to the natural. I will have more substance this year than I did last year. How about you? You say, how can you say that? Because the doer of the word will be blessed in what they do. You know, uh, sometimes people say, well, you overemphasize the blessing. No, I just emphasize what the Lord emphasized. You can overemphasize certain things. But trying to take Scripture away is not going to help the situation. We just need balance. Amen? We need balance. So, uh, next is the sword of the Spirit. Okay? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Greek word sword is machera, M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A, machera, M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A, if you want to write it down. This was a Roman sword. It was one of the greatest inventions of the ancient world. We might call it the ICBM missile of its day. It was different from any sword ever produced. It was only 18 inches long which was very short. But not only did it have a sharp point, both sides of the blade were sharp. The soldier was never off balance because it was so light. In fact, it is said the barbarians used to laugh at the Romans uh, when the Romans came to attack them with these little short swords in their hands, but the last laugh was on the barbarians. They were all lying dead on the sides of the hills as the Romans walked away. No matter which way the adversary went, the Roman could get him because it had a sharp point and two sharp edges. He could jab, cut one way, and then the other because of its size and weight. So think of this as the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's sharp on all sides. 
It's easy to handle. You're not off balance. Remember we talked about um, one of those words in there about being stable or having stability in the process of Ephesians 6. In other words, the armor that you have in the spirit doesn't throw you off balance. It isn't designed to throw you off balance. God doesn't throw you into off balance in the spirit. You are perfectly weighted for the battle you're in. Okay? You're perfectly weighted for the battle you're in in the spirit. You can handle it. Why? Because you have the word of God. Now, you can't substitute obedience for these things with other things that you like in the scripture. Okay? You know what I mean? Like, for instance, if I'm given to prayer or if I'm given to uh, uh, um, some other field, like worship. Well, those are very close together. Prayer and worship are very close. But if, if, you, if you're given to those things, you can't just automatically default to that and ignore this. Okay, let me put it to you like this. You can't automatically default to, I'll have the pastor pray for me and it'll go away. You know what people do in the church? I've watched it for years. They refuse to do what they're supposed to at home. They get mad at the pastor because he didn't pray in faith enough and they're still in their problem. So they go to special meeting after special meeting after special meeting after special meeting and everybody in their major anointing lays hands on them. And they're still the same. Why? Because you have to do. You have to do. There's no, you cannot lay hands on somebody and just, and the person just continue to live in disobedience without repentance and expect your life to change. Well, I don't like that. Well, then remain in bondage. Because that's the other option. See, uh, Josh Meyer put it this way. She goes, I finally got started getting free when I, got, when I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Eventually, see, this is what happened for me. Eventually, I had to quit blaming somebody else for me. I, I was listening to a series recently on, uh, on uh, great leaders and the importance of being humble and different things like that. And the importance of realizing and hearing problems and where problems come from. And one of the points of this minister was he was quoting uh, like Abraham Lincoln and different leaders through the years, different presidents. Abraham Lincoln said, he, somebody asked him, are you concerned about these other candidates that are running for president against you? He said, the only person I'm concerned about is Abraham Lincoln. He said, if anybody can defeat me, it's me. Uh, Mark Hankins said it this way. He said, when I, he said, I finally found the guy that was giving me so, more, so many problems, and I kicked his butt all over the place. The problem is I couldn't walk for a week. <laughs> so, so what does that mean? I'm my biggest problem. And so many times recently especially, but many times I find myself in prayer going, Lord, show me how I need to change, and then I receive empowerment to do it. I don't just leave it as show me, because that could be dangerous. Because then I could see it, and then I'm a doer in and of myself, so I'll just start working on it. No, 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 no. I need His power to work through me. I need the Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 in the Amplified. I need Him to work in my innermost personality. And not just work in me in the sense of this ethereal kind of out there thing. No, Paul was specific in his prayer. He said, I reach into the riches of your glory and I ask this. In other words, tap the resurrection. Does that make sense? Tap the resurrection, get in there and fight from that place. Why? We have the sword of the spirit. We're not off balance. We're perfectly weighted. We're ready for the barbarians. We can attack the enemy and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We should be rejoicing in war, not depressed. When the spirit of heaviness comes, put on the garment of praise. People say, well, but it just seems so heavy. Then get your Bose system cranked up. Turn on YouTube, find you a good spirit-filled worship leader and crank that surround sound to the neighbors wonder what's going on. And make sure you rejoice until all the feelings go. Just do it. 
Because, and then, I mean, jump around your house and dance and rejoice and wave your sword in the air like you just don't care. <laughs> well, hope my wife sees that later. She'll think that's funny. All right. <laughs> okay. The sword, the word of God is a machera, the sword of the spirit. It's not a big sword that throws you off balance. It is something which has only one good point, although many ministers think it. Oh, it is something that has. Um, mo- oh, it is not something. I was like, that does not make sense. Okay, I'm going to read this again. Sorry about that. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is not a big sword that throws you off balance. It is not something which has only one good point, although many ministers think it does. In other words, they preach one thing over and over. The word is not ornamental. It is not just beautiful literature to be read at Christmas and Easter or to be left on a coffee table or a mantle. The word of God does not have a hidden meaning. It is clear. The word is a balanced, precision instrument designed to destroy the devil no matter which way he jumps in your life. Jesus said it is written in Matthew 4.4, 4, Matthew 4.7, and Matthew 4.10. And using the word is what we are to do also. Jesus was proficient at using the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The rhema is the Greek for word in this verse. Because we are to use the spoken word at the devil as Jesus did. We do not throw the Bible at the devil when he attacks. We are to take the individual promises contained in the word and speak them at Satan in faith. This is what causes him to flee from us. This is what causes him to flee from us. The authority we have is for now in this life. It's now when there is something that will hurt and destroy that we have authority. But many people believe we can't have much of anything now. They think Satan's running everything down here. We must remember, however, that although we are in the world, we are not of the world. Satan's running a lot of what is here on the earth, but he's not running me. He's not running the church. He's not dominating us. We can dominate him, we have authority over him. Does the church in this century have any less authority than it did right after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and seating at the Father's right hand? If it has less authority today, it would have been better for Jesus not to have died. But no, bless God, we have authority We need to build these truths into our lives by meditating and feeding upon them until they become a part of our consciousness. Again, the helmet of salvation. Naturally speaking, we eat certain foods every day because doctors tell us we need certain vitamins, minerals, etc. to build strong bodies. There are spiritual vitamins and minerals, so to speak, we need to take every day too to be healthy Christians. I heard a minister say this one time. He said, many Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day and their spirits one cold snack a week. We've got to get to that place where we're, this is the decision I've made. This is where I live. How many have noticed that your flesh cries out if it doesn't get to do what it wants? It's consistent. The thing about the flesh is the more you give it, the more it'll take. Your flesh is give it an inch, it'll take a mile. It's exactly how your flesh is. It is a good thing. This is why, uh, well, I believe this is why the Lord dealt with me about this probably eight, nine months ago now about exercising. It was because even if I didn't do anything else, I didn't add uh, eating a certain way until months after I started exercising because I was going to do one thing first. And so I did that first, and then I established a plan, actually a month out, what I was going to do to lose weight. It works. It works. And then after that month was over, I started doing that. I've been on that for, I think, about four, five months, four and a half months. 
Why does it work? Why do that? Because I have to discipline my flesh. Brother Higgins said this. He actually, and I'm going to probably upset an apple cart here, but just go ahead and think about it. You can do what you want, okay? He was actually never for the 21-day fast, the 40-day fast, any of that stuff. In fact, he wrote a book called Common Sense Guide to Fasting. And actually what he told people, because he knew people that would do 40-day fast and actually physically hurt their bodies. They actually changed the makeup. It actually caused physical damage to them that they never recovered from. And in seeking the Lord, they were zealous about it. I'm not saying they were in sin. I'm just saying it affected their physical. How many know you're physical too? Okay, so you got to be aware of that. But he never did it. He said, I've never fasted longer than three days and got my answer. And so he told us the thing that he did was he lived, he lived a fasted life. So at one point in his life, he, he would fast every Tuesday and Thursday. If you want to freak your body out, Tell it it's not going to eat tomorrow. Or tell it it won't watch any TV at all or any social media or anything tomorrow. And by your response, you'll know how strong your spirit is. Woo! I know it's exciting, isn't it? I'm with you in that same boat. We need to feed on these things so that they don't end up dominating, so we don't end up being dominated by the flesh and the enemy because of an unrenewed mind. We have authority. Now, next week, I'm going to wrap this series up, and I want to uh, precursor that with just reading this, and then we'll be done. We have five minutes here, so we'll be done. And I'm actually going to shut this off so I don't preach into it <laughs> next week, but I'm excited about it. Uh, this this next uh, next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I want to review passages of Scripture on authority to bring balance to the subject where I have seen extremes uh, and heard of extremes where um, things can get out. How many know thing, any truth can get out of balance? Okay, so this is something that Brother Hagin just pounded into us when we were at Ramah. I mean, through the teachers and through him as well. Did you have Brother Hagin as a teacher? You did, okay. There, I was on the tail end of the thing, and then he went to heaven shortly after we, we went to Bible college. But it was great to have him. I mean, just phenomenal. But uh, he would always say, you need to make sure. He said, one of the, one of the most difficult things you're going to do in your life as a believer is stay balanced. He said, because the tendency of all believers is to get into one ditch or the other. I should say this. The tendency of all humanity is to get into one ditch or the other. It just is. Okay? And so that's something that we're always uh, navigating and watching. And um, there's no sense. You should just settle it in your mind right now and don't let the argument get out of control in your thinking or in your emotion. You're always going to have to fight for balance. Stop wishing it wouldn't be. It's going to be. Just get good at fighting, and it'll make it easier. Does that make sense? You're always going to, and people sometimes are like, well, I don't want to hear that. Okay, well, then make something up that you like, and we'll move on. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. The Lord dealt with this all the time in, in his ministry. People would look at him and go, well, I, don't, I don't know if I believe that. And it's just like, okay, well, then don't. But don't get mad at the Lord if you disobey his word, and then you don't like the harvest. I can't get mad at God. That's the worst thing you could do is get mad at your help. The one who can actually deliver you. Well, it's not fair. Define fair. Is it fair that you spit in the face of God? Was Jesus dying on the cross fair? Oh, no, it was not fair. Fair for Jesus? Come on. This is, we're not, we're not going to break this down. Like people have said to me before, will God really love people? He would have never even allowed a devil to be. He wouldn't have allowed any of that. If God really loved people. And what you're saying is, you don't want to have to choose. What you're saying is, you want no responsibility. Sorry. 
See, what people don't realize, they're saying, they're giving themselves away in this. You say, how do you know that? I prayed about it for a long time because I was like, Lord, people say this and I get stumped on it. He said, Sean, they're doing, they're saying, if God's really a God of love, then why did he allow this or that or the other? You don't understand what you're saying. Adam allowed it. What you're saying is you don't want to have to be responsible for your decision. That is not God. Besides that, he doesn't want people loving him because he ha- they have to. Come on. No, I do not believe God created the devil as the devil. Okay? Just so you know. He was Lucifer. He was an angel in heaven first. He made a decision. All right. I'm going to read these verse, or this, this portion of this book to you. This is uh, Brother Hagin's book. This is actually the Legacy Edition, but it's called The Believer's Authority. It's where some of the teaching I've taught comes from, but um, <clears throat> we have this class at Rama. So he says this, we have authority over demons and we can control them. So this is the precursor to next week, okay? We have authority over demons and we can control them as far as our lives or our family's lives are concerned. But we can't always control them when other people are concerned. Because that person's will comes into play. Many years ago, I was holding a meeting here in Oklahoma. And as I was ministering to the sick in the healing line, I had an inward intuition. I knew by the inward witness that somebody in the line had a demon in him. That doesn't mean that he was demon-possessed. That is a different thing entirely. To be possessed is to be taken over entirely. Spirit, soul, and body. You can have a demon in your body without being possessed by a demon. Nobody here has a demon, so don't even let that thought go into your head. I kept looking around when a certain man stood within four persons of me. I knew the demon was was in him. I never said anything out loud. You have to realize this. Although the devil does know some things, he is not all-knowing or omniscient like God is. Because of his psychic powers, you can see that the devil does know some things. Some fortune tellers do predict events that come to pass. The devil even knows some of your thoughts. How do we know this? Because mind readers often can read your mind and tell you what you're thinking. And they don't do that by the power of God. In other words, there's a spirit world. Before the man stepped in front of me, I thought to myself, I'm going to cast that thing out of him. That's what we should think. I didn't say anything out loud. I just thought it. When he stepped up in place, before I could say anything, he spoke. The demon spoke through him. Whining in a high-pitched nasal voice, you can't cast me out, you can't cast me out, you can't cast me out. That sounds like the devil, doesn't it? Just won't stop talking? Okay, anyway. I said, yes, I can in the name of Jesus. He said, no, you can't. This man wants me to stay, and if he wants me to stay, I can. I said, you're right, and passed him by. Several days later, I saw that man on the street, stopped him, and engaged him in conversation. He wasn't crazy. He had all his mental faculties. As I talked to him, I found out what kind of spirit he had. It was a religious spirit. People need to know there are such spirits. They make people act very religious. Actually, this fellow had three evil spirits in him. The others were deceiving and lying spirits. So he had, re- he had religious, deceiving, and lying spirits in him. He believed in a mixture of some Bible along with Eastern religions. He leaned more toward the Eastern religions. I talked to him about this. I said, those beliefs are not scriptural. They're not according to the New Testament. He replied, Bible or no Bible, I like it this way, and I'm going to stay with it. I said, anytime you want to get rid of those devils, come see me. But as long as you want it that way, that's the way it's going to be. He said, well, that's the way I want it. You can't, you've got to walk off and leave people when they want it that way. If people want to live in sin, they can. If they want to be free, they can be free. But as long as they don't want to be free, neither Jesus nor anybody else can set them free. You can't go around promiscuously exercising authority over the devil in somebody else. You've got authority over your own life and with your own family. But you can't cast the devil out of everyone you meet on the street, even if they do have the devil in them, because they have authority over their own lives. When people want help, that's another matter. It's strange that sometimes even spirit-filled people don't want help. In 1954, I preached for the first time in the state of Oregon. I started off on a Sunday night preaching an evangelistic types of sermon. On Monday night, I preached on faith. I announced that there would be a healing service Tuesday night. In those days, 
I'd put people in the same line, whether they, had, whether they came for salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or healing. I ministered to them one at a time. I came to a woman. There was a man with her, and he did all the talking. She never said a thing. I, would, I could tell by looking at her that she wasn't right mentally. The man said his wife was very nervous and had spent time in a mental institution. Let me point something out to you here. You don't just exercise spiritual authority on behalf of other people per se. You've got to have the manifestation of the Spirit of God. That's why many are failing. They are trying to deal with the spirits with the word of knowledge, without the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, or an unction of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus once talked to me about the devil, demons, and demon possession, he used an example of the girl possessed with a spirit of divination. She followed Paul and Silas around Philippi for many days, according to Acts 16, 18, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Jesus asked me this question. Do you know why Paul didn't deal with the spirit the first day? I said, no, I really don't. I've wondered about it. Why didn't Paul, an apostle, a man of God, a man of authority, just take authority over the evil spirit the first day? Much of what we've been teaching from is by who? Written by who? Paul. Do you think he understood spiritual authority? There's a reason. Jesus said he had to wait for the manifestation of the Spirit. He had to wait until the Spirit of God gave him discerning of spirits. You see, you can run the devil away from you and your house anytime. If a person is on your premises, you also have authority over him. But when you get away from where your domain is, the evil spirits have a right to be there because Satan is the God of this world. That's the reason Paul had to wait many days to deliver the demon-possessed girl. He didn't command that spirit to leave her the first day. She began following him. He waited, and when the right time came, he spoke to that spirit, and it came out of her. When I laid hands on the woman, going back to the story, in the healing line, I didn't see any spirits, but I had a word of knowledge. I didn't have discerning of spirits operating in my ministry then, but I had the word of knowledge operating. When I laid hands on her, her life ran off in front of me as if I were seeing it on a television screen, television screen and I knew the whole story. I said to her husband, I'm not going to minister to her. Take her to the pastor's study. When the meeting's over, I'll bring the pastor with me and I'll talk to both of you. So he took her away. The pastor and I went to his study and I found out that the woman's husband was a deacon in this church. I told him I wanted the pastor here as a witness. He'll tell you he hasn't said one word to me about your wife. I don't know anybody in this state but this pastor, and I never saw you or your wife before. I'll tell you why I did not minister to your wife in public. When I laid hands on her, I knew on the inside of me I could see it all in an instant that your wife once heard an evangelist say that the Lord had spoken to him in an audible voice. She began to seek God that he would speak to her in an audible voice too. What she failed to realize was that the evangelist didn't say that he was seeking for God to speak to him that way. He didn't ask God to do it. He was just waiting on God. When you begin seeking an audible voice, the devil will accommodate you. It's wrong to do this. In other words, seek God, but don't tell him how he's going to answer. Does that make sense? You don't want to seek a manifestation. You want to seek God. Will manifestations come? Of course. Don't do that that way. Seek God. So she heard of something spectacular. She wanted it. Demons began to speak to her, I continued. She began to hear these voices and they drove her crazy. You told me that she had been in an institution once. Actually, she's been there twice, hasn't she? The husband replied, who told you? The Lord, I said. He also showed me that you took your wife to, the, to a healing meeting and the evangelist could not get her delivered, so you're mad at him. Then I saw in the spirit that you took her to a prophet's meeting and he couldn't get her delivered and now you're mad at him. I wouldn't be able to get her delivered any more than the two of them and you'd be mad at me. And that's the reason I wouldn't minister to her. Now I'm going to tell you why they didn't deliver her and why I can't deliver her. She doesn't want to be delivered. As long as she wants to hear these voices, she's going to hear them. She's not crazy. She's hearing everything I'm saying. I turned to her and said, now, sister, when you get to the place where you don't want to hear these voices, you come and I'll help you. Well, she said, I want to hear these voices. So in other words, and I'm not going to read the rest of this. It's good, but I'm not going to read the rest of it. In other words, 
We do have authority, but there are jurisdictions. And you are not going to override somebody else's will. Can you make somebody get saved? Then you can't make them get healed either. You say, you say, what does that mean? That means we can exercise our authority. People will even get relief when we pray for them. But if they go right back into where they were and believing that way, they'll get it back. Why? Unless there's a gift of the Spirit in operation specifically. And it's a deliverance type situation where I, this is what I would call a sovereign move of God. Okay? And I, don't, I hesitate to use that word, but you understand what it means. To me, a move of God outside the will of a person is when God does so good and it just, I mean, people are just healed because of his mercy. But if those same people don't repent and turn away from where they're living and walk away from those things and make effort to passionately go toward the Lord, then they are, it's not that God makes them sick, guys. If you play in the mud, you're going to get some on you. It's simple principles. If the fence says electric fence, don't grab it. You say, how do you know that? I've grabbed it. <laughs> okay, I've done that. So you understand what I'm saying? We have authority, yes, especially in our own lives, in our own families. But there comes a point, even with me, with my kids, at some point they're going to have to exercise their own authority. Now, I can, I'll exercise my authority with you, but I can't dominate you. You know, I, the simple way to put it is this. You're, the furniture in your house is the range, arranged the way you like it. I don't have the right to come into your house and rearrange your furniture. Unless you gave me permission. Don't give me permission because I don't care about your furniture. And I don't even care how it's arranged. <laughs> if you like it and it's blessed, bless you. I don't even care about my furniture. So <laughs> Heidi takes care of that. <clears throat> and I move it as she directs. <laughs> It's like the Holy Spirit and his body. It works out perfect. So my point is this. We have authority. We need to exercise it. We need to offer it to others. But we, we're not going to just run through the earth and start just making everybody obey God. It won't happen. It's not happening. It's not happening. So uh, I just want to precursor that for next week, and I uh, hope you got something out of this. Father, we thank you for tonight. Uh, we love your word, and we love you. We'll be doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you Sunday, guys. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.